Yoshama worship giant snakes as gods and protectors. Snakes? What was that? There's something down there. That's right. No matter what you do. He's not breathing! No! TriStar Pictures invites you on a journey into the grip of fear. Anaconda. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Recast. I'm your host, Corey, and we got a full table today. Cass, Ash, and Nick are all here. And we are here to envision what 1997's (laughs) Anaconda would look like in the year 2014. Um, but before we do that, we are on all the social media. So please go find us on the social media and you can engage with us and you can, uh, you know, answer our, our silly questions like who would you have casted or, you know, what movie do you want to see? We do look at that stuff. We promise. Though we don't always acknowledge it. Yeah, we do. We do look at it and we usually we usually go, oh, unless it's dumb. We go, that's stupid. Get your own podcast. No, we don't. But if you this is your first time listening, um, we are a theoretical film podcast, which means we like to posit the question of what would a movie look like if it was released in a completely different year. So, yes, if you've clicked on this, you have seen that we are taking the Jennifer Lopez classic Anaconda Jennifer Lopez. to 2014. And we're going to see what would a cast for Anaconda in 2014 look like? Because uh, J-Lo would have been too big for her britches for a movie like Anaconda True. in 2014. True. So those are the kind of things we have to explore here. But before we dive into <laughs> Anaconda, and before we dive into the year 2014, has anybody watched anything great, okay, or atrocious that they want to talk about? um i guess i'll i'll take the floor i watched a a really weird movie i don't know if anyone's seen it i think i mentioned it a while back it was called the lobster it's got colin farrell and uh, rachel vice and it's done by this like greek director called yorgis lathamos and he's like quite a visionary and it's it's set in a dystopian future and if you're single by the age of 40 the law states that you have to be put into this place called the hotel and then you have a month to find a mate and if you don't you get turned into an animal of your choice and get released into the wild and Colin Farrell picks a lobster. But it's a very interesting sort of uh, dynamic. There's a bit of layers involved. It's not what you think, um, but the concept's amazing and it led me in. And um, yeah, it's a great movie. And yeah, Yorgis Lathamos, uh, he's definitely a director to look out for. It's like a Black Mirror episode. Exactly, it was. So I got to ask, 
<laughs> Nick, you're uh, you're staring down the barrel of forty a little bit down the road, and you're single. What animal would you be? I mean, <laughs> oh my god. I'm just saying, I'm married. Ash is engaged. Cass is only twenty, like two or twenty three. She so I mean, she's got time. Yeah. You're like on the clock, my friend. <laughs> is it is it any animal? Is it imaginary animals? No, no, no. Is it so like a, it has to be an animal that is known? So what do you mean, unicorn. imaginary animal? A fictional animal. Like he wants to be a griffin. <laughs> I could be a dragon if I wanted. But you know, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. quite interesting in the movie. The when they state what animal you'd like to be turned into, they have to state why as well. So yeah, I mean, Corey, oh. give it a go. Have you got what? Well, what animal would you like to be? I'm married. I'm good. I don't have to be an animal. I'm, I'm... What about you, Nick? Seems like you're uh... anaconda. Maybe like did anaconda... maybe an anaconda <laughs> after this movie? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I just had to ask. I just I was just curious. All right, all right. Anybody else watch anything good? I I watched nothing of really any note. I was busy. I watched this great movie called the Super Mario Brothers movie. Ooh. I thought it was it's pretty straightforward retelling of like the whole Mario story, but you kind of needed it because, you know, the last time they tried this, it didn't go so well. So I felt like the standard straight ahead story was what they needed to do. And it's fun. And there's some good Easter eggs in there and stuff. And I think it just does a good job of just being a fun movie. But yeah, that was what I watched. Awesome. So Cass and I failed. We didn't watch anything good. All right. So. That means we need to talk about 1997's Anaconda. Woo! Did not expect to do this movie on this podcast, but Ash has corrected that. So that's exciting. <laughs> I, I did not have that on my bingo card. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. <laughs> I saw this movie like 37 times when I was in middle school. So, I mean, like, I've it's, it's a wow. fun movie. Like, it was just one of those movies that was on rotation um, from Blockbuster in our household. So, what did the critics think about Anaconda? <laughs> Um, back in 1997. So useless critic stats for Anaconda is IMDb gives it a 4.8 out of 10 rating. Rotten Tomatoes. The critics liked it a little more with 40%. Audience score of only 24%. A bunch of fuddy-duddies went and saw this movie. Wow. Um, Who are these yeah. people? So uh, Metacritic, 37 out of 100. That's a hard Jesus. fail. Letterboxd, 2.3 out of uh, 5 stars. Yes. Roger Ebert. Before I tell you Roger Ebert's um, star count, I just want to remind everyone last episode that Roger Ebert gave Gladiator two stars. Fred Akaja, Roger Ebert gave it a near perfect three and a half stars. My man, Rog. <laughs> <laughs> this guy knows his stuff. Oh my God. He's so inconsistent. What does. I, I love him. I love him. <laughs> This madman, they la- they gave him a TV show to talk about movies. <laughs> Raj, he's, he's he was on cable him. television. Oh my god! I I I feel like I don't know Roger Ebert. I just I know who he is, and I feel like being a horror movie fan, he's just often painted as this villain that hated them. And it's like the more we do this podcast, I'm like, are we sure we didn't? Miss Paint, like Roger Ebert, like he was a good guy, huge fan of Anaconda. That is absolutely wild. Um, Anaconda, though, 
Um, Anaconda was released in 1997, starring Jennifer Lopez, who at the time was actually not that big of a deal. She had just come off Selena and kind of cemented some uh, some credibility there, as well as Ice Cube and John Voight, and for like weirdly Eric Stoltz, who's only sort of in the movie. Like it's very odd. Um, and then also up and comers Owen Wilson um, was in there, you know, so um, Carrie War. It's kind of an all star cast when you go back and look at it. But at the time, it was yeah, just more yeah. like these people you sort of recognize. Directed by Luis Josa, um, written by three people. Cannot believe it took three people to write this movie. Hans Bauer, <laughs> Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. I guess if you need a synopsis of Anaconda, it's about a documentary film crew who run into a giant snake hunter who forces them to take him down the Amazon River looking for a giant prize winning snake. Um, and mm-hmm. it, of course, just torments them and eats them one by one if we're taking anaconda to 2014 we got to talk about 2014 we got to get a feel for the year before we just waltz into this movie and start um recasting it which means we got to ask ourselves the question what were the people watching in 2014 the top 10 box office for the year 2014 and this is movies released in the year 2014 got it this is gonna get wild we have been here before. We did Gremlins in 2014, and so this might sound a little familiar, but um, coming in at number 10, Big Hero 6. Number 9, X-Men, Days of Future Past. Number 8, Maleficent. Number 7, Transformers, Age of Extinction. Number 6, The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies. Number 5, The Lego Movie. Number 4, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Number two, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, part one. I just would like everyone to know that 10 through 2 is either a franchise or Disney or something crazy. So number one is a little shocking. Clint Eastwood's American Sniper was the number one movie in 2014. (laughs) Isn't that wild? (laughs) That's That's the number one movie? American Sniper? Yes, it was. That's. I mean, it was okay, but yeah, I wouldn't put it above the rest. America. Yeah, it was very much an America moment. I went in thinking it was like this introspective movie about like a guy and his mental state deteriorating and the effects of war and thought, oh, that was a very like kind of progressive view of uh, of war and stuff for Clint Eastwood. But then the reaction from the masses obviously was America. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what's happening? It's like modern day Rambo, I guess, since I just watched first blood and I was like thinking it was going to be this Uber action movie. That's like, Oh, this is a movie about PTSD. And then like pretty and much then the sequels became very much. Cause I think that onto the whole war veteran being a killing machine. That's, that's what we're missing is American sniper two. But we can resurrect him. You know, if, if Passion of the Christ 2 can happen, so can American Sniper 2. Spoiler alert. Yeah, like, I... Yeah, no, you're right. It's weird. It's a weird movie. But, you know, in a weird way, I guess, like, I'm pumped to see that, like, a one-off movie uh, went toe-to-toe with all the franchises and came out on top. You gotta, I guess, at least appreciate that one. Sure, sure. That brings us to, we need to talk about, okay, what did the critics like? What what were the Oscars? Like, okay, so everyone was going and watching franchises 
and Bradley Cooper. Um, but what are the Oscars like? Let's go, we all got to put on our bow ties, our tuxedos, and waltz right down the red carpet like we belong. That's the secret. Just act like you belong there. The Oscars celebrating movies in 2014. Best actress in a supporting role went to Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, in which she gave just that speech that just went super viral. Um, I don't remember what it was about. I just remember people really got behind Patricia Arquette, um, which I was like, I'm sure what she said was awesome, but I just remember thinking like, gosh, Boyhood's stupid. Um, all right. <laughs> actor, actor in a supporting role went to J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Um, best actor or actress in a leading role went to Julianne Moore for Still Alice and best actor in a leading role went to Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything and then best picture went down to the nominees were Whiplash, The Theory of Everything, Selma The Imitation Game, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Boyhood American Sniper and the winner Birdman, or the unexpected virtue of ignorance, and so great film, uh, mixed bag there, biopics, and just you know, pretty good movies, honestly, except for Boyhood. Boyhood didn't belong in there. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it sounds quite appealing and quite meta, and I was like, okay, this is something new. I'll give it a go. But the film itself was about nothing. I don't know how to explain it? I mean, it's it's a gimmick. Yeah. It was a gimmick. Exactly. It was like, oh, watch this think- kid grow up in a movie yeah exactly i think the concept was far more superior than the actual execution of the movie so they went they followed these one people these actors for 12 years it's like cool we've had sitcoms since the effing 70s man i watched the olsen (laughs) twins grow up like i watched them from an infant to like a teenager i've seen this it's 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 a thing all right franchises, biopics, pretentious films, Anaconda has not found its place yet. Um, Twin films! Let's see what they doubled down on in 2014. And, oh my gosh, quite a bit. For one, across 2013 to 2015, they made The Machine, Automata, Ex Machina, Transcendence, Chappie, and Uncanny, and they're all science fiction films involving robots and artificial intelligence going sentient. They made two St. Laurent movies, uh, biopics, in 2014. There were two Hercules movies. Oh, I'm sorry. Three Hercules movies in 2014. Hercules, The Legend of Hercules, and Hercules Reborn all came out in 2014. Also in 2014, we had three romantic comedies centering around zombies, Life After Beth, Burying the X, and Warm Bodies. And then finally in 2014, we had two dysfunctional family movies reuniting after the death of a patriarch in August Osage County. And this is where I leave you. You know, the, the romantic comedy involving zombies is oddly specific. Like that's, yeah. that's a yeah. weird it was, one. To we were in the walking dead hype at this point. Like we were still yeah, all about yeah. the zombies and three filmmakers. What if they were in love? And so <laughs> also, Hollywood was into zombies and Hercules Anaconda is just going to be unique, I think, um, in 2014. But what about you guys? Anything you guys that hasn't been mentioned yet that you just love about 2014? I really liked the movie um, As Above, So Below. I think that was a really good like horror film just because it is just the underground and just seeing all the 
just creepy shit of what's what's down there. <laughs> yeah, shut up. I know. I felt <laughs> Creep was also a really good movie in 2014. But I have a weird love for 22 Jump Street because I watched it in theaters in 2014. There's a little bit of love, and I'll surprise everybody, but Love Rosie, which is a romance film. But there's also an actor in that movie that they would both call me out on, Ash, so. Uh, oh, and, and who is said actor? Maybe Sam Claflin, I, it, but maybe, I don't know. He might be the lead with Lily Collins. Hmm. Okay. But it's a, but to me, I like the movie just because it's not like your PG thirteen corny. It's just about like two best friends. It's rated R, which I also like because it takes away the corniness of some PG thirteen romance films. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. What about you, Ash? Yeah, I mean, it was one of my favorite years in cinema. There is a lot that came out this year, but I will pick three movies that I think sort of went under the radar. This one, not so much, but I, I do believe Jake Gyllenhaal was completely snubbed at the Oscars for this because I think his performance in Nightcrawler was absolutely amazing. And it's actually one of my favorite films. I don't know if you guys have seen Nightcrawler. Um, it's just oh, it's, about... Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, and Bill Paxton's in this movie as well with Rina Russo. Um, and it's done in a sort of a Michael Mann way. This whole, you know, lit up LA kind of vibe going on. It's a really well done film. And um, there was another film called um, Dear White People, and it just follows the lives of four black people at Ivy League schools. And it's absolutely amazing. It's a real eye opener to um, American society and the lives of uh, black people in America and in general and how they're perceived all over the world with different religions, different types of people in Ivy Leagues. And um, that is a film that came out and there was um, didn't make a lot of money, but it is def it's definitely one that is being looked at a lot more recently these days. And probably the other film I'd probably say is a film called The Drop. It's got James Gandolfini and Tom Hardy in it. Um, and that's an, mm. that's a very cool kind of Goodfellas movie, but very low key. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I think, um, yeah, and Tom Hardy is definitely, again, he plays a very down version of what he usually plays, but for good reason too. But I won't ruin too much about the movie, but it's set in East America. And it's, yeah, it surprised me of how good it was. Um, but yeah, those are three of the films I thought went under the radar a little bit. So I got three. Uh, the first one I watched recently was this Persian language, American Western horror called A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Uh, oh, basically takes. Yeah, it, I, strange enough, I watched it on the last drive in show with Joe Bob Briggs, which probably mm. wasn't tonally the right but i wasn't mad about it it's a very unique horror movie i also this is the year that the raid 2 came out uh or you might know it as raid retaliation it's a indonesian yeah. action thriller movie uh if you've watched the first one this one just expand where it was more like diehard kung fu in mm. a building this is yeah. an expanded yeah. kind of godfather kind of story beyond that and then on the fun side, I also included Let's Be Cops with Jake Johnson and Damon Wayans because they just pretend to be <laughs> cops and hijinks ensue. Cool. So I think Into the Woods is one of the greatest on-screen musicals ever made. And so that came out in 2014. I agree. I love Into the Woods. Um, and then I also put Nightcrawler, and that's just because I think Jake Gyllenhaal is probably like the best modern actor um, currently working. It's um, a good one. A huge one. mark for Jake Gyllenhaal. And he was in the run of his life, I think, in the mid 
2000s with Enemy and Prisoners and Nightcrawler. Yeah, for sure. And then I put a documentary, a skateboard documentary called All This Mayhem, which is incredible. It's about the Pappas brothers, um, these Australian uh, skateboarding brothers. It kind of accuses Tony Hawk of rigging most of like skating, um, pulled some leverage to keep him out of certain competitions and things like that. He was kind of like Tony Hawk's main rival. Um, in the huh. latter half of Tony Hawk's career, after I guess Christian Hasoy went to jail, so um, he was the new rival, and so and then one of the brothers ends up murdering someone, and so it's a pretty wild documentary. What? It's wild. So I I think it's amazing. All right. So again, none of us really. I mean, Cass picked a lot of horror, so she would watch Anaconda in 2014. I'm sure. So, Ash, this is where we ask you. You chose Anaconda, and you chose to bring it to mm. 2014, and we give you the chance to tell us why. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What tickles yeah. your fancy there? Yeah, it's a monster movie that I think went beyond what it needed to be just because of the ensemble cast, and I think it still survives, not just because of nostalgia, just because that all the actors that are in the movie are probably A-listers now, minus a few of them, but why I took it to 2014 is this for me is where the indemar- it's sort of the independent market starts to it starts to sort of stand against the great surge of the sequels, the comic book era. This is the year where we have our own contemporary auteurs and they were allowed to stretch their muscles, kind of like Tarantino in 1992, Matt and Ben in 1997. This is the year we get Whiplash, that's Damon Giselle's introduction, Ex Machina, that's Alec Garland's. We get David Robert Mitchell's It Follows this year. The beginning of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Monster Universe, the Groundhog Day attempt of a sci-fi movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Even Tom Cruise was taking random risks. So this was the year where everyone was just taking risks and they were really paying off. For me, you have a look at all the established auteurs like Christopher Nolan. This is the year he did Interstellar. David Fincher did Gone Girl this year. Wes Anderson did Grand Budapest Hotel, like arguably their best films. Michael Keaton makes a comeback. So... The reason I'm picking Anaconda for this year is because nothing can really be touched in 2014. And this is sort of the year where I think you can make a risk and make the movie Anaconda into something completely different than it was. I'm just interested to see where people go with their casting because I did mention that you can go completely diverse with it or you can stick to it. But it'll be interesting to see which direction people go. I didn't think a lot about that. You brought up a really good, a lot of good points about 2014 because it's a year I don't really particularly love. There's not a whole lot of movies I like, but you brought up a lot of really good, important things about 2014. You know, after like seven years, you've sort of let it sunk in. You're like, that was a really good year. Like everyone was Mm -hmm. sort of firing on all cylinders. Even the established directors were making good films. So it was a very interesting year when you look back at it. Um, Nick, Cass, was this your first time watching Anaconda? Because I know it wasn't mine and Ash's. It was mine. It was mine, yes. Nick, have you, have you seen Anaconda before? Uh, this is my second viewing of Anaconda. Oh, okay. So. All right, all right. So um, I believe it might have been a sh- one we watched at our house back in the day. Probably. I probably put it on at least a couple of times. What did you guys think about this uh, kind of late, late in life creature feature? Rewatching it this time, it really sinks in. Like it is a B movie, and yeah. but it's it's fun. It has fun with the fact that it's a B movie. It definitely feels like a successor to the types of movies like Jaws. But the fact that pretty much everyone in the cast has gone on to do more stuff, I think, makes this movie even more interesting. 
and but yeah you're I, I think ash is right that in the right hands this movie can be something completely different you, you could elevate it to a jaws level kind kind of event movie yeah I, th- I think that's a good point too nick like horror movies have like this kind of lineage of like where a lot of future a-listers get their start you know kevin bacon was in friday the 13th and Jennifer Aniston was in Leprechaun and Matthew McConaughey was in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre type of thing. Yeah, like this one actually spit out three. Ice Cube is obviously famous for something else. J-Lo was just coming on the scene, you know, with Selena and Owen Wilson was, you know, nobody. Yeah, like I think that's a good point to kind of make even. And that's an interesting like tidbit. You guys all saw more in this movie than I did. Yeah. So, and- it's it's weird. I think creature features kind of died out like way before. I mean, there was a lot in the 80s kind of, but they were like really low budget, you know, and in the as they crept into the early 90s, they got even more low budget. And so Anaconda was interesting that they threw a lot of money at it. Anaconda is a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. No, yeah, you kind of yeah. have to watch it that way. You can't just watch it thinking that it's going to be like this, like great, like the script's amazing, the anaconda is going to be like actually real or something like it's it, it, it's a weird movie but it's it's a fun watch yeah for sure and it's, it's actually really interesting to know what people think of it now when they've watched it for a first time so that's a really unique perspective to get on it i've heard two different reactions i've asked two different people about it one person was like i hate that movie so much and another <laughs> one was like oh my god i love that movie it makes me laugh every single time i watch it that's the movie we're looking for no that's the thing if you can divide opinion like that i mean it's, it's it's worth looking into for sure and it's i remember loving this movie i remember absolutely loving this movie it's, you know because they're all on a boat it's all on one location they're all interlinking with each other they all have diverse opinions so that's sort of what makes the movie quite good like if you take the snake away from this movie it still kind of works i think the added mystique of the snake is actually kind of it accelerates the movie and i think that's what they've done so well in this film yeah um it uh i should i would be like remiss to like uh mention that it spawned three sequels in case anybody wants to hop in i wouldn't recommend it um i, I have it. seen them all uh unfortunately <laughs> because i love the first oh. one so much and the third one has David Hasselhoff in it. So I was like, oh, God. Yes, it does. Uh, I think there should have been a red flag for you that it wasn't going to be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm going. But the second one, the second one that spawned out, I think, The Hunt for the Wild Orchids, that was actually okay. That was quite grounded. But the execution later on in the third act didn't come through. So it tried and failed three or four times. But the second one was okay. But yeah, not, none of them came close to the first one for sure. My last question, given Anaconda, is do we give Anaconda credit for what would become like Deep Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid and this uh, other these other movies that essentially would come out, you know, in the years following, which it's just giant animals killing people? Or do we have to go all the way back to Jurassic Park? Did that start the late 90s big budget creature feature? Mm, that's a very good question because Jurassic Park was 93 and this was 97 yeah, oh. and you have Congo in the middle and Congo's yeah. Yeah. directly because a Michael Crichton movie was so popular all three have a lineage of being more of an adventure movie like it's not a straight up horror movie per se I would say Lake Placid might lean more into that 
I think Jurassic Park started this idea of like adventures involving animals and exotic animals, but I think Anaconda might have been the one that shifted gears a bit and went, okay, no one can do Jurassic Park again. That's not going to happen. So let's just go our own way, have fun with it. And I think that's where it, there was the shift into the further movies like Lake Placid that came after it and Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, and then I think also the thing that you have to like give Anaconda credit for, and like certain horror movies do this, but not a lot, is that it has the monster, but it also has the human villain that's pushing everyone towards the monster. Mm-hmm. You know, because most people would just most people would just run away from a forty foot snake, but then you have a guy holding you at gunpoint saying, "No, we're going to go towards the forty foot snake." Yeah, yeah. How does this movie change going from 1997 to 2014 other than the aforementioned J-Lo's too big for her britches in this movie now? I think what they can do in 2014, which they didn't really know what to do with the snake in the original, was keep it consistent. Because at the, you had real snakes, you had animatronics, you had CGI, and you had a mashup of all three of them. And some of it worked and some of it didn't really do great with the, the special effects. So that's the obvious sort of change. Yeah. In Jaws, we don't see the shark, you know, well into the movie. And it's a big moment. Uh, Jurassic Park, yeah. it's a lead up to the brontosaurus. It's a lead up to the raptors yeah. and the T-Rex even. With this, you get that lead up in the original movie. But then when the snake is finally shown, it's just kind of like it's a very, eh, very disappointing kind of because uh, because it's it is it's a hodgepodge of these different techniques. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm I'm a fan of when they don't show the monster well, as mu- also, as little as possible. With this particular movie, the Sci-Fi Channel are starting to make movies like that. So you have the Sharknado movies that have officially came out because that came out in 2013. So the That's second right. movie that came out, if you want it over the top, then yes, you would almost have to have that sort of consistency. Otherwise, it is going to be bought by like sci-fi that that was kind of what was going through my head the entire discussion that's what's going to make it different is that's a really good point to be honest yeah yeah would sci-fi buy it would, would only it, like, sci-fi buy the it. asylum i feel like hmm. cassidy just ruined the episode like <laughs> it's yeah. like we're just anaconda's now just a sci-fi straight to like tv it's like sci-fi okay. original <laughs> great but it's just that sci-fi has been doing like they still do it it's just that's the issue with like horror movies now is that it's going to go to that because they're going to come up with the craziest ideas where Mm. it's sharknado it's tarantulas it's going to be just yeah and and that's the that's the really good thing about those movies like and i enjoy those movies the sharknados yeah yeah and and i think what they're trying to do there is they're trying to reinvent the 90s special effects which is quite ironic what we're doing as well because people still enjoy those movies despite the bad special effects, despite the really obscure concept. So what we're doing is we're taking that film that they are doing those movies about and bringing it to that year that they are ripping it about. And we're going to make it more grounded, sophisticated. And again, it all comes down to who you put in the movie, who's directing it. Yeah. And that's a good point, Cass, with the Sharknado movies out the same year. I always somehow ruin the podcast. Like I always ruin the episodes. We're not taking it there. We're not. Taking it was. It, there. it is an excellent point, though. Like it is. Like it'd be hard yeah, to yeah, right. sell this movie in 2014 and not have every studio go. You need to go to sci-fi, and they're probably going to turn the anaconda into a zombie with centipede legs. 
Well, I think it's we're we're in this era of horror, especially like Ash brought up earlier. There's a lot of up and coming directors, and uh, what was that? In was it elevated horror? You have extreme yeah. Sharknado, and then you have stuff like The Babadook, Babadook. and A Girl Walks Alone at Night. So I think yeah. really it's there's this bipolar extremes going on right now where people are saying either let's just go nuts or let's make something and really have like a thought process or, or some, a theme and something to discuss. I was just saying, like, if you look at 2014 as a year, it's actually quite dark, like, in terms of, like, all the good movies that are commercially accepted now, like, really dark films. And this is the first year since 1997 that there were no animated movies in the top 10. So it's such a big year for this movie to come out. So it's interesting to see where it goes left or right, I guess. Well, that brings us to... If we really want to know what this movie is going to look like in 2014, who do you think would direct Anaconda in 2014? The, you know, the way I kind of saw it could go is very because it's it is horror, but it's also like we said, it's in that same vein as Jurassic Park, Congo, where it's this jungle adventure, basically. You know, I know it's an overused term, but a gritty kind of dirty look to it would be a lot of fun but sadly tony scott passed away like two years before this or else i would have been like that's the dude put him in make it look grimy and just like everyone's sweating to death like let's just go for it but um i think paul greengrass would be an interesting choice he's the dude that did the Bourne movies and captain phillips and united 93 and the reason that i kept Mm. touching on him was because you're talking about a snake that constricts people and suffocates them and snaps them in half, basically. So I think he has a good, does a great job of creating tension in movies. So I think he could probably deliver a good sense of like that urgency and terror of like being captured by the snake and being suffocated, basically. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Okay. What about you, Cass? Only because I was trying to get into the mindset of the whole comedy horror. And there just wasn't that many, in my opinion, in that in 2014. But besides the Sharknado, so I went with one of the directors of Sharknado, which is Anthony C. Ferrente, because you're going to get that out there. Because the Sharknado movies actually are not that bad. The first movie is actually probably the better one because it's actually a little more serious. Okay. I'm 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 still trying to wrap my hands around the word serious and Sharknado in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they tried to be serious in the first movie, at but least. I, I do you know what you're saying. Else. The first the first 45 minutes of Sharknado is actually yes. a good contention for a good sci-fi movie, and then it just yes. explodes no. after that. I would just I would just like to point out that Nick and I are on the other side of that line, and Cass and Ash's comments don't necessarily reflect those of Quantum Recast, <laughs> the property. Hey, I'm, I'm throwing her a bone, Corey. <laughs> it's fine but I, I, I get what you're saying Cass I get what you're saying for me in my direction I'd like to keep this film quite cinematic and quite dramatic I didn't want there to be any comedic elements to it maybe a few one-liners but that's it so I'd probably get someone like Danny Boyle or Ron Howard behind the wheels of this film because both those directors can handle small casts in a big movie like Apollo 13 and Sunshine and they're very good at connecting the dots from scene to scene. Like their flow in their films are so well done. And both directors have done pretty much every genre under the sun. So they're, I, I think, and neither of them have actually done a monster movie. So I don't think it would become either a horror or a comedy. I think it'd find a place just in between. 
Yeah, I think just given what you already said about 2014, that like every kind of movie under the sun is coming out in 2014 and they're all well done. It just depends. You just the question of directors, just like what kind of movie do you want? And we can find you the director that'll give it to you. For me, it's like it depends on what do I want to concentrate on. If I just want like a strict creature feature, like just give it to Guillermo del Toro or uh, Peter Jackson. Like they're gonna make a good creature feature. But uh, if I wanted like a movie about the people on the boat, give me Ryan Johnson. Like give me the guy that can do all star casts, and like just give me that. If I could choose anyone to capture the aura of a creature feature, like give me Quentin Tarantino. He's going to capture the golden age of creature features, like that 70s piranha giant spider type of movie. So you could kind of do whatever you wanted in 2014 with Anaconda. And it'd probably be it'd just keep Richard Linklater away from it and we're good. So um, <laughs> we can all agree. <laughs> <laughs> so all right that is 2014 that that is anaconda which means we've got to cast anaconda in 2014 you have arrived before we do that there are rules ash you chose this movie so you're serving as the director you've sent a cast list to Mm -hmm. nick and Cass, and they have they have prepared a 2014 appropriate cast for anaconda but they are bound by rules rule number one anyone they choose to cast in anaconda 2014 must be alive in 2014 they cannot be deceased we are time travelers but we do not bring people back from the dead rule number two anyone they cast in anaconda 2014 must be free to do so they cannot be incarcerated or in prison or anything like that um you know wesley snipes would probably be unavailable in 2014 i believe he was in prison for tax Jeez. evasion so oh, um, lovely he's off the board um anyone they cast in anaconda 2014 must be active they must have at least one acting credit in 2014 or prior to they cannot have started after 2014 and then finally anyone they cast in anaconda 2014 will lose all major film roles that they are in in 2014 because we're selfish we don't allow our actors to do more than one film a year and so that's where the stakes come in we've already as we said ash is pretty um uh he kind of loves 2014 so guys tread carefully tread (laughs) carefully ash just in case they don't you have two power-ups you have the old switcheroo which means at any point in the casting um even all the way up until the end you can retroactively switch any two actors that have been put on the board in the roles they've been casted in and then you have the huge one the power or the the override you can pretty much tell Cass and nick they blew it to screw off and put your own actor you're still bound by the their rules though but you can put your own actor in at any role while casting that specific role it must be done during that particular character as per usual um we have to do our 30 seconds or less these are characters that we love 
but they're just not in the movie enough for us to spend a whole lot of time talking about, or they just didn't quite make the cut. Those characters are Unknown Victim 2 and Unknown Victim 1. <laughs> the Anaconda voice, because the Anaconda does speak. <laughs> a lot of hissing. The uh, poacher, uh, Mateo and Denise Kalberg, who is our only main documentary crew member who doesn't quite make the cut unfortunately frank welker does the hissing for anaconda danny trejo plays the poacher vincent castellanos plays mateo and carrie war plays denise kalberg so just want to give them a shout out for the tremendous work they did in the movie anaconda well how this is going to go is ash is going to say the name you guys are going to speed cast there's not going to be a lot of discussion there and uh Ash will just speed choose. So, Ash, I'm handing it over to you for the 30 seconds or less round. I just want to reiterate, this is 30 seconds or less, guys, not 20 minutes or less. We got have it. Yeah, never game. done this in 30 seconds. Just to, just to re-clarify, the unknown victims, that's just dealer's choice, right, Ash? That's correct. Whoever you see fit, and I will. I want a, I want a, I want a good explanation for it, but yeah, yeah, dealer's choice. Oh, I'm excited for mine. All right. This is this is where I get a vibe of where you're taking this movie in 2014. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Nick, Cass, you both ready? Ready. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, unknown victim number two. We're gonna go Nick. Jay Baruchel. Suck it, Cass. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I know you were gonna do that? Okay. Okay. Cass, who you got? Uh, John C. Riley. Ah, okay. Um, okay. I, uh, my victim number. Jay reminds me of Justin Long too much. Not the vibe I want to go for. I'm going to go John C. Riley. Okay. <laughs> Cass, you got that one. Uh, unknown victim number one, Cass. Will Ferrell. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, ch- toss no. Jay back out. <laughs> Nick, salvage this one, please. Jay. Jay Abrams. Ooh, I like a director's cameo. I really enjoy yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if even uh, just Will Ferrell, no, just no. Uh, I'll go JJ Abrams for that one easily. Okay. Um, Anaconda voice, Nick. Jim Cummings of Winnie the Pooh Lion King fame. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Voice actor by trade. Okay. Uh, Cass? Um, Gideon Emery, who voiced Krampus in 2015. Oh. I've listened to both these voices. I'm going to go for Gideon. I'm sorry. Yes! Yes! Okay, right. Moving on to our poacher, played expertly by Danny Trejo. Mm, Cass? George Lopez. George Lopez? <laughs> yeah. Nick? Um, I put Samuel L. Jackson. And he has to uh, oh. say, almost say the F word as he pulls the trigger. So yeah. at the end. Oh, That's man. Good. That's good. I like Samuel just because he can put on his CV that he's been eaten by a shark and a snake because in Snakes on a Plane, he survives. So, right, yeah, right, I right. Have, I have to have a big name. So yeah, Samuel Jackson. Uh, Mateo, and we'll go with Nick. Uh, Jordi Moya. 
uh, he's no, he's just that dude in Bad Boys Two, Blow, and Riddick. He, he, he's one of those guys you recognize when you see him. Yeah, he looks just like him. He does. I had to, I had to double check because I was like, is did he play Mateo? I was like, Nick, are you doing some kind of like meta thing going on? I was like, that's that so guy. funny. Cass, who have you got for me for Mateo? I went weird. I went Stephen Ogg, who is um, Trevor yeah. Phillips in Grand Theft Auto Five, but he's also Simon in The Walking Simon Dead. Simon from Walking Dead. Yep. Yes, mm. and he's got that creepy vibe yep. about him. Yep. No, you know what? You know what? I am going to go Stephen Ogg because I do like that creepy vibe that he sort of brings in. My <laughs> last one, uh, Denise Kalberg on a 30 seconds or less. Cass, who have you got? Uh, Annabelle Wallace from Annabelle. She's also in Peaky yeah. Blinders. Mm, yeah, I like her. Very big fan of her. Uh, Nick? Alexandra Daddario. Ooh. Oh, Daddario. Mm. See, I know Annabelle from Peaky Blinders, and she's got that really tough streak about her, and I need that to be dumbed down for this character, and I think yeah. Alex definitely has yeah. that naivety about her, yeah. so I'm going to go Alex for this one for sure. I can't say. She's beautiful. Mm, okay, that was the right choice. And right. yeah. Okay, that was a successful 30 a seconds or less. Uh, we... <laughs> I guess J.J. Abrams is directing this. No one brought him up, but I guess he's going to direct this movie. No, no, he's just there to die. Nope. That's it. Nope. So. Director cameo means he's directing the movie. That's how director cameos work. No, 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 no. Lots of lens. Just bad choice for Tons of lens flare. So, all right. Okay. That brings us to the the the, the top cast. Here's who's gonna who's here's where we're the meat of the cast. We're really gonna dive in and have a little bit of discussion here for Anaconda 2014. That will be Gary Dixon, played by Owen Wilson, Warren Westridge, played by Jonathan Cadbury Hyde, Dr. Stephen Kale, played by Eric Stoltz, Danny Rich, played by Ice Cube, Paul Cerrone, played by John Voigt, and Terry Flores, played by Jennifer. Lopez. Jennifer Lopez. Before we dive into this, can I ask a question? Is this the worst documentary film crew of all time? Yes. Yes. They stop filming when things start getting (laughs) really good. Really good. (laughs) I feel like the whole movie should have been like Jennifer Lopez yelling my ice cube, pick up the camera, pick up the camera. (laughs) Like no one was recording anything, really. You're your subject changed by all means. It's no longer this lost Amazonian tribe you went out to. But once you get hijacked by a crazy guy and he's making you like, and like a giant snake stalking you, it's like, dude, this is going to be great. You know what's what character is missing from this movie? It, it's the character from Nope, the obsessed filmmaker that's like, I have to get the oh, shot yeah. of the snake. Yeah. Oh, that guy. And John Voight's going to be like, you can't film me. I'm holding you hostage. Like, You're going to be a star, dude. Just go with it. <laughs> all right all right all right we're gonna start at the bottom with gary dixon played by owen wilson well i mean you know the way i figure with kale messed up i mean the movie's off why not salvage something you know let's film sarone capturing a big snake have you lost your mind have i lost my mind no i haven't lost my mind if anything i'm completely lucid right now i think it's you guys who need to open up your eyes yo i i don't even know how I can explain the character. It's Owen Wilson. It's the laid back. Is he stoned? He's the sound guy. He's like every sound guy on any production. Just kind of the the California stoner, mm. conflicted, and joins up with Cerrone at some point. He does not survive the movie, and he has the third worst death. 
according to someone who wrote all this in the Google sheet. I believe so. it was Ash. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think he had the third one. Third worst death, um, Gary Dixon. So, Ash, I'm handing it over to you. All right. Gary Dixon, bottom of the six that we're doing, but actually quite one of the most interesting characters because he switches sides halfway through the movie. So, I'm going to go with Cass for Gary Dixon. Who have you got for me for the sound guy? Gary was actually the hardest one because I was really trying to dive into his character. Mm. I just was trying to later on try to get into the mindset of, okay, who could get manipulated that well enough to change sides? He's he's not doing anything in 2014 besides a TV show. Mm-hmm. But I went Jared Padalecki, Mr. Sam Winchester. And I only went him because of him being that lovable character, but then also being able to be manipulated, manipulated and change sides. Like he can switch instantly, like become this charming guy to, oh yeah, by the way, we, we're going to listen to them. Yeah. And he's definitely, I'm looking at him now. He's definitely a very good looking guy. And Owen Wilson, had, he basically plays the lovable fuck up in every film he does. So and I can see that in Jared right now. And he definitely fits the persona. I actually saw him in House of Wax, a film that came out a long time ago. I remember him in that film. I think it came out. Yeah, yeah. I like Jared. I like him a lot. He's very on the nose with Owen Wilson. He's quite vulnerable as well as good looking. He has a bit of a bite to him. Yeah. So I went with a guy that just got hot off of one of the bigger TV shows at the time. This is supposed to be his breakout year into film, but he kind of just falls flat on his face to an extent but i'm giving you aaron paul from breaking Mm. bad fame he does consistent work after this but he never really reaches that height of popularity like he did in breaking bad so i'm giving him a bone here but i also think that he can portray this role pretty well as more of kind of the guy who's just there for the for the hell of it and then once he gets the once our villain gives him the opportunity of like you can make a lot of money with this he's like no no this guy makes a lot of sense like we could be rich like let's let's do this you know how hard is it yeah i like both and they're both very different not with Owen Wilson, it was very hard to see him be authoritative after knowing what he did in the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to watch. He, he pulled it off in a way. I mean, he did Behind Enemy Lines three years later with Gene Hackman, but, you know, he has that in his arsenal. Aaron Paul definitely has grip to him, so he definitely would have more of a convincing part to play in when he switched sides. So he's already established and everyone already knows his face. With Jared, it's less likely people will recognize him, but he's got a very good looking face. Um, Both of our picks is that it's just very, it's hard for these TV actors to make their way into film. Mm. And especially Jared specifically, because the horror films that he has been in, like House of Wax and Friday the 13th, They just didn't do well for him to still be notable, notable. But that's how I knew Jared was the Friday the 13th remake. It's yeah. I, I also like the Aaron Paul pick. Cause I think that one's good. And he's to me, he's still like a lovable person character because I know yeah. a lot of people liked his character in breaking bad. So. And you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. You've both picked two quite, big tv actors as well um one more recognizable than the other i'll tell you what i'm gonna do here though if i saw jared in the movie and i saw him getting onto the boat i would tell you he's gonna die very soon um it's just i just knew he, i just know he's gonna die 
Aaron Paul as well. He's quite a small fella as well, but he's got such a presence to him. And I'm quite convinced I'm quite convinced he will pull some heartstrings into the movie when he goes and saves her after he jumps ship as well, because that was a really heroic yeah. moment. In that aspect, I am going to pick Aaron Paul, um, but I do really like both picks, to say that out loud. But yeah, Aaron Paul for sure. Okay, that was very diplomatic and not controversial at all. Okay. uh... (laughs) That brings us to... All right, Corey. That brings us to Warren Westbridge, originally played by Jonathan Hyde, most notably uh, Cadbury of the Richie Rich movie from the 90s. And Jumanji. Uh, and yeah, the dad in Jumanji. Our adventure begins 1,000 miles from the mouth of the mighty Amazon, deep in the heart of the rainforest. From here, we will travel by river barge up through shallow tributaries and unexplored backwaters in search of the elusive people of the mist, the Shirishama tribe. Um, we're Westbridge. He, because Jonathan Hyde is playing him again, it's a lot like Owen Wilson. Just think about any movie he's ever been in, and he's doing that. He is posh and articulate and upper class he is the contrast to like who should be on a boat in the amazon you know he's constantly hitting golf balls off the back and you know and talking about how he wishes he was somewhere much nicer and we uh he also does not survive and ash has given him second worst second worst death he's like the saddest the dude tries to like off him off himself but he's a basically like screw this and tries to jump on the snakes like nope. Goes, nope. <laughs> yeah if he had a gun, he would have shot it. Oh my god! At himself. Yep. So uh, that would be Warren Westbridge. Ash, over to you, buddy. All right, Warren Westbridge. Personal favorite character of mine. I love Jonathan Hyde. I mean, I think he was having the run of the year mm, in the mid nineties. Yeah. Titanic, The Mummy, Jumanji. So, uh, Nick, you uh, got the last one. Who have you got for Herbert Cadbury, aka Westbridge? I'm changing it up just a little bit. So I'm going a little younger, and I'm going to give you someone who has just come on the scene in 2008 with Slumdog Millionaire, but I'm going to give you Dev Patel in this role. Interesting. And he's this year he's doing a movie called The Road Within, and then he's on the newsroom, the TV show. I think that he has the capability to kind of come off as like, I'm just here because I think it's a fun idea. I think we're going to make a lot of money off this, and... Then when it when shit hits the fan, he's very much like I just want to be back home in my in my silk sheets and my hot tub and just with champagne. Like get get me out of here, basically. And and he while he has the ability to like we've seen in the Green Knight to play the strong hero that makes the tough decision, he also has the ability to play the the weaker type of character that's really ready to like bail at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, that's a very, very interesting pick, Nick, and um, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah, um, but Cass, back over to you. Who have you got? I went with Hugh Laurie, who is House, and mm-hmm. later on, two years after, is in The Night Manager, who kind of gives off that same vibe um, with Tom Hiddleston. I recommend. Yeah, I need to watch that. It's, a, yeah. it's actually really yeah. good. I, I think they both do really good together. I watched it for Tom Hiddleston. We're not that surprised. But um, Hugh Laurie just kind of like gives off that like posh vibes. I could just see him like hitting off like the golf balls and stuff and just kind of, I don't want to say he's being a dick, but like he's just kind of being like, you know, you're here because of me. I paid for this. But then also still wanting to like stop. Um, What's his name? Sarone. Cer- yeah, yeah, no. So, you, yeah, Cass, you've actually got 
a really good pick. Like you've hit the nose on the head. I love it. I've seen Hugh Laurie. It's a great pick. I, I can't really fault it. And I've seen Hugh Laurie. Um, yeah, there's a film called Flight of the Phoenix of Dennis Quaid, and he's in that, and he's 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 part of that movie too, and he's also you know in the background crew as well. He's not one of the main cast, and he does have a freakout in that movie as well. And this is what happened to Jonathan Hyde and Anaconda. However, that being said. Dave Patel is also interesting. And yeah, he was in the newsroom. I think Aaron Sorkin wrote that. I think it's better than the West Wing, in my opinion. But here's the thing where I'm struggling with Dave Patel, but I love where you're going with it. I need some authority. He's the host of an Amazon documentary. I want him to square out of Ice Cube when it comes to the music. I need him to be posh. I like, I can see all of that. I can see Dave doing that. And I like that you've gone somewhere different with it. I'm just trying to imagine Dave Patel squaring up with the other characters as well. Listen, listen being on the nose sometimes is it's not a bad thing. Like you, you want type, this type of actor, you go for that type of actor. I get what you said. There's a there's a culture clash with, with Jonathan Hyde and Ice Cube in the original movie, and all, not only culture but also age class, which is shown. And and I and I loved that clash. Yeah, the clash was good. And so I think with that, I am going to go with Hugh Laurie with that one. I think. <laughs> Being like Nick, as you've said, being on the nose is not a bad thing, and Hugh Laurie's done this role before, and I think he'd be great in this role as well. So yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Moving on, I'm just toast. <laughs> Doctor Stephen Kale. I think we may have a chance. Well, you get me there, and I'll shoot it. I'm counting on that. That's why I hired you. And I'm glad you did. I really appreciate it. Well, I wanted the best director I could get. I think we'll make a good team. Played by Eric Stoltz. Um, wow. Okay. Pull together, Corey. Pull together. You're not involved. You're not involved. Just a bystander. Dr. Stephen Kale, played by Eric Stoltz. Again, very weird role because he is the leader of this documentary crew going out there to um, uh, study a lost Amazonian tribe. He is soft, kind, the leader. And he's a scientist. Um, these are all quotes that I believe Ash, uh, or uh, all uh, descriptors Ash gave us. Um, again, he gets stung by a wasp and is out of the movie until all the danger is gone. It's a weird role. Um, I think he's mostly there because uh, it gives J-Lo something to protect. You know, it's, it's yeah. you got a madman on one side of you, you got a giant snake on the other side of you, and you're hoping neither kills your incapacitated boyfriend who can't himself. I, th I think it's also just weird that it's Eric Stoltz. I think that always throws me off. It's like, whoa, it's Eric Stoltz. And then he's like, oh, he's going to be in bed the whole movie. Well, Ash, it's over to you. Who won it last time was Cass with Hugh Laurie. Cass. I, I never really looked at it in the leader role, only because he was out the entire, like, the entire time. My, <laughs> mine's a little weird. Um, people would judge him most for being in the Dragon Ball Evolution movie. I know him more from Shameless. I want Justin Chatwin. Justin Chatwin. I know him. He was Robbie in War of the Worlds. He was the really obscure, loud son that Tom Cruise was like, fine, you go fight that war, but leave me behind. All right. Okay. I'm going to park that for two minutes. 
while we go to Nick with his pick. Corey, don't hate me. Um, I pulled someone from a movie Corey brought up earlier. He's a name, but I think it's someone that's recognizable. And when he goes down in the movie, Silent's like, oh no, we really liked him. We just saw him, some of us did this year recently, last month in Dungeons and Dragons. Chris Pine. Mm. Uh, he was in Into the Woods this year as one of the princes in one of the one of the standout scenes, I would say. But he's also in Horrible Bosses 2, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, where he tried to take on that franchise and it fell apart. So I said, let's put him in the jungle and get stung by a wasps inadvertently and lie on a couch for a week instead of singing a magical song. So, so you're going to take him out of all of that. I think all of those films that year, or is he? We just name in films he had been in. He's in all of those films this year, but Horror Bosses 2 wasn't as big oh, as wow. the first okay. one. Jack mm-hmm. Ryan didn't take off. Mm-mm. Into the Woods was the biggest prominent mm-hmm. thing. Corey is <laughs> trying to keep his keep his opinions to himself, but it, I, we can tell it's very hard. Corey's on the verge of a seizure at the moment just so we're aware justin justin chatwin was only in bang bang baby which is a canadian film and he was nominated for a canadian screen award so i was like that's not that important canadian awards aren't real (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry what award are you (laughs) canadian screen award for best actor in a supporting role are you trying to make an argument for or against him i'm saying that he was only in one movie where you just named off 20 from Chris yeah, Pine. Chris Pine's super popular. And you're taking him out of it to put him in, in a bed for the whole movie. <laughs> 75% of the movie. I don't envy Ash at all right now. <laughs> let's, let's settle down here, guys. I all don't right. envy you because I think, yeah, you're just in the situation in which... I mean, like, for me, I don't really care about the Jack Ryan movie or... Uh, the other thing Chris Pine is is mostly just into the woods for me I think that's one of Chris Pine's most fun performances but also at the same time like Justin Chatwin can not exist and no one would ever notice I don't know if it, if it was me I would just go Chris Pine just because I feel like Eric Stoltz's character is kind of that lovable intellectual heartthrob okay I've made a decision um it's a tough one because I'm I'm gonna hope this pays off later on. I haven't admitted it yet, but I do like Into the Woods, and I think one of the best parts of Into the Woods is Chris Pine in it. And I I, I like the fact that he goes and does something different. And so I'm gonna use an override really early on, and I'm praying to God people are getting Sarone and Terry right. So I am using an override now. Whoa with this one with this character because i just can't pick justin because i need a name so i am bringing in adrian brody for this role um adrian brody Uh, was in the grand budapest hotel mm -hmm. um and he's in a minor role but it's a it's quite a good role i think you know wes anderson can just cast owen wilson in this film instead and so yeah sorry guys i i liked both picks i liked where you were going um but you have forced me to use an override because One's not a name and one I can't touch. But yeah, you guys are forcing me in an awful position now because I'm going to have to go with who you've got. You've lost your largest power up. (laughs) Don't don't disappoint me, guys. Don't disappoint me. (laughs) This episode is quite good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know what I would have picked, but I'm biased. 
We know. We don't yeah, care. I know. You. I, listen, if I was in that theater and I saw him, I'd be like, oh, I'm a shameless fan. Like, yes. Yeah, but we're in 2014 <laughs> and everyone just is going to look at him and go Dragon Ball Evolution. They would just walk. No, they're not. They're going to go shameless because it's yep. the time of shameless. What are you talking about? No, yeah, no, no. People that actually watch shameless would look at him as, oh, that's Steve. Cass, I think you're casting with the wrong head. That's no, all I'm that, gonna say. No, and so I thought with the right head, I moving on <laughs> to Danny Rich. Let's be honest. What else are we supposed to do? I know what I'm gonna do. I'm about to throw both of y'all son of bitches in the river myself. But Danny Rich, played by Ice Cube, he is the cameraman. Um, he's street smart. He's direct. Um, he is. Uh, unfortunately, it is the '90s, and we still have the token black guy architect or archetype in horror movies. But I'd say Ice Cube's the greatest toking like black guy. He doesn't in a die movie first ever. Yeah, Ice Cube's so badass. He survives this movie, and like. Doesn't disappear. He like fights the Forever. snake, everything. Like, that's just Ice Cube is yeah. amazing. But like, he's still just that dude from NWA and putting out like hardcore gangster kill cop rap albums. Like, he's super controversial. You know, he, this is before Are We There Yet? He's essentially just Ice Cube as a camera guy in this movie. And I honestly think he does super well playing it. Like, even, yeah, yeah, very like grounded. Yeah. Okay. Right. God help me for the next three rounds. <laughs> Guys, please, please throw me a bone here. I'm just going to go back to Nick. So, Nick, who do you have in place of Ice Cube for Danny Rich in 2014 as Anaconda? I kind of wanted to keep in line with the Ice Cube casting. Pretty much I just said, okay, what upcoming rapper turned actor is going to fit this role best? So I really want to just keep that mentality there. So the name I'm going to give you is a little more underground but it's a well-known name among the rap community and it's respected he is a big connoisseur of film in particular kung fu movies he even starred and directed in one the man uh with the iron fist a couple years before this i'm gonna give you the rizza of the wu-tang clan the rizza extraordinary artist he has a gruffness to him and and there's a toughness to him in in the roles that i've seen him in and I think that he will be able to have that same kind of mentality combating with our with Warren and be able to kind of fight the fight there at the end of the movie. All right. Okay. I like it. And I've just seen a picture of him and he's definitely got an authoritative look to him. Something, you know, streetwise about him. So, yeah, you're going very close to Ice Cube there. I like it. All right, Cass. What have you got to counteract Rizza? Now I'm really second guessing i still kind of went the comedic route and i'll just say the name i'm not even gonna explain what this character or this actor's in so i went keenan thompson from keenan and kel from keenan and kel from snl from ah here it goes kind of mm-hmm. keenan and kel <laughs> <laughs> all right okay we're, we're, we're going there i feel like i went him just because like he's he really isn't in as much and he is a good actor and he's only really in SNL as of now at least. Yeah. But yeah. just try to give him like this. No, I'll tell you what, I'm a really big fan of Keenan Thompson and I actually think he can act. Yeah. Um, I just think he's failed to break away from that stereotype or typecast that he's been cemented in. Right. Um mm-hmm. 
And he did actually play, and it was a bit of a comedic role. He was on Snakes on a Plane with Samuel Jackson. He was the guy who flew the plane back, wasn't he? He was a PlayStation fanatic. Yes. In that movie. <laughs> That's so right. He has dipped and dived into commercially big movies, but he hasn't really made a stamp into his career yet. And mm-hmm. I do love the idea of giving him a shot again because he, ha- and I, I, I love that guy. And I think maybe my, my, it's Keenan and Kel talking because I grew up watching that and I love the show. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Now, the, here's the problem with Anaconda. Every character in this movie, every character on that boat has a moment when they're in charge. Every character. There's an authoritative argument and it's always led by a different character. With this character, it's more of his presence. is is a stereotypical presence in the movie, I think. Yeah. But it does allow Keenan to do some acting, which I don't think he ever... Unless it's a skit that he did in SNL. Exactly. But, yes. I just don't think directors are taking... Like, I, I saw Christopher... Do you remember Drake and Josh, that Nickelodeon yeah. show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Josh. Josh Peck. So, Josh Peck's just been casted in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. So, he's obviously taken a shot with him, and I think he's going to flourish after this. But for the last 10, 15 years, he has just been typecast as Josh Peck because of Drake and Josh. It takes one person to sort of just give you a shot. So for that, I am going to pick Keenan Thompson because I just want, I just, I love that story. I really love that story to see him go places. And I think if you give him an opportunity to act, I think he can do it. So yeah, I'm going to go Keenan Thompson with that one. I can't fault it because I, I do love Keenan Thompson. Yeah, I, I think my, I think my, I think my main concern is just how the audience, how the audience will accept it. And and if it will become off as comedic, or if it, he will be able to pull off the more dramatic action, and that's the thing, giving him that opportunity to pull it off. Like if I'm going to give you an opportunity to show audiences that you're not this guy from Keenan and Kel. Moving on. <laughs> All right, Paul Cerrone, played by John Voight. Uh... May the souls of the faithful depart through the mercy of God. Rest in peace. Amen. Now the part will feel his spirit to sound. Westridge! How dare you? It was you who brought that snake. You brought the devil. There's a devil inside everyone. The father of Angelina Jolie, somehow. Um, known best for deliverance and uh, <laughs> national treasure. Two very different roles. He is charming, but deranged, aggressive, and he knows the jungle. Um, he is, I, he's a poacher, I guess. I mean, he is just out there looking for giant snakes because apparently yeah. people will pay ludicrous amounts of money for like the skin of a very large anaconda. So he uh, hijacks, I guess he wrecks his boat, um, and therefore he the next boat that comes by is a documentary f- film crew, and he hijacks him. And so, uh, very manipulative, as uh, Ash mentions uh, mentioned earlier. Manipulative dude, um, but charming. But yeah, totally uh, dangerous and crazy. John Vol- Voight actually plays it very well, honestly. Like I think he has a ball performances it, yeah. in the movie, honestly. And so, um, yeah, all right, all right. This is where it's going to get problematic. This is this is where the soul of the movie lies with this character because. 
every review I've read that is bad always says that John Voight was actually quite good in this film. And I agree. And I think he definitely sinks his teeth into this movie, no pun intended. He goes over the top and he does it really well. Um, so this is the one where I'm scared. So guys, let me know who you've got for Paul Cerrone. Cass, you got it the last round. Going to you. I was trying to get into like that. I don't want to say, I mean, yeah, he was creepy, but like just that weird, like charismatic, but creepy vibe. And especially like that, maybe some other time quote just kept just popping up in my head. Cause it was just like, you need someone that's very unserious too, like in a serious ass moment. I, I'm taking him out of a decent amount of movies. I'll read them off in a little bit i don't think a lot of them are important i am taking him out of a movie that i said that i liked so i'm okay because no one mentioned this movie no one i don't think anyone cares about this movie so i'm gonna pull him out of 22 jump street oh dear i went peter stormer interesting huh interesting because he gives off the very like that creepy vibe with the one-liners and even like later on with John Wick too mm. was really funny. And that next year he does one of my favorite games called until dawn. It just is very charming. Like he kind of just pulls you in. You think that he's good and he's not. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, being a child of the eighties, I just know him as the Russian space station in Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the cosmonaut, uh, the one that he's absolutely incredible in that role. And obviously, uh, Fargo as well. Um, he was really good. Fargo is the other half of Steve Buscemi's double assassin in that movie. I like it. I really do. He's definitely got creepy vibes. Our second villain of bad boys Two, as well. I might add that uh, we've got in this casting list. All right, okay. I'm going to let that ponder for a while, and I'm going to go over to Nick and see who you've got for Paul Cerrone. And this is probably the most important role of the movie. So, Nick, I'm intrigued to see who you've brought to the table here. I feel like I played it safe a bit, but I'm giving you a name. And there were a lot of... I was trying to find someone of Latin or Spanish descent to actually fit this, because I think that's the only thing people might comment on the original Anaconda is that John Voight is playing a man from Paraguay mm, mm. And from South America. So it, when I watched it, I was like, where is he supposed to be from? But again, he does a good job with it. It's not this like character cliche type version of something, but I wanted to kind of keep in that line of thought. But a lot of those actors that we know from that are involved in a lot of different things. So I'm going to give you, he's only in, automata this year i don't even know if i'm saying that right big name he's played villains before i'm giving you javier bardem javier bardem i just think he has that casualness to him and but he also has the intimidation factor and the and the strength to kind of take over the ship because this is this is very much the quint role in jaws this is the the crazy guy i'm the crazy man on the ship and i'm gonna take us down trying to get it basically and i think javier bardem is a big name that you can put in there with with these cast members because we've built a cast generally of people that are on the up and up or being given opportunities, you know, to get in a different type of movie. So I think having him to kind of, for lack of a better phrase, steady the ship a bit is a good choice. No, I like it. I like it. Okay. 
This is the biggest one. This is what I'm going to do. Javier Bardem, I feel like, at this point, is very stereotypically known as a villain. And I'm not even talking about No Country for Old Man. I'm talking about Skyfall. I'm talking about quite a lot of film. He's pretty well suited for this role, more so than Peter Stormen, I would say. Peter Stormen just looks more like Peter Sarone or John Voight did. So Peter Stormen's on the nose. I like it, but he's not a name. He's a face that everyone recognizes, but he's not a name that you put on posters. I'm going to go with Javier Bardem, but I'm going to switch his role with Adrian Brody's. I want Javier Bardem to play the captain, and I want everyone to know he's in this movie, but I don't want him to know he's a villain. And I don't want him to be in this movie for that long. So I I think I, I want Adrian Brody to play Sarone because he's just got that energy about him that can go either good or bad. And they're both Oscar winners. They both got the acting capabilities. And I just want something a bit different with Sarone. So I'm going to go with Bardem, but I'm going to have Bardem as Kale and I'm going to have Adrian Brody as Paul Sarone. I feel like it's a very mother situation. Like, I feel like I'm not going to trust Stephen Kale like at all. Mm. But that's the thing. Have you seen Vicky Cristina Barcelona? No. Very charming, very low key against his serial. He's really good in it. Really good in it. And the second time. Let me. Okay. Before before we take the hand off the chess piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> tell it. I have questions. I have questions, though. Oh, my God. A, is it a bit. Are you, is it more you're concerned that he's the villain? He's always been the villain. And you're trying to like just change it up a little bit. My second thought is. You have to have Javier, and I get, yes, he was in Vicky, Cristina, Barcelona, across from Penelope Cruz and Scarlett Johansson, but you have to keep in mind, he has to be in a relationship with our Terry Flores, and the ages might not match, is all I might put out there. Mm, well, specifically with mine, there is going to be a 20-year difference. There was, what, almost like a 10-year difference between uh, J-Lo and Eric. But you have to think of the dynamic. I think one was the teacher and one was the student. So I think there's that relationship going on in the 1997 movie as well. That's how I think that relationship Mm -hmm. is going ahead. And you've got to remember as well, she seduces Theron in this movie too, as well as being with Kale. So either way, she has an interaction with either of these characters. The reason... The reason I want Bardem as the captain, as the good guy, as the soft guy, is because I haven't seen him do that enough. And he's definitely got the acting capability to do that. And also, the fact that he's asleep for most of the movie is going to be a massive shock when people are like, oh, we're going to see Bardem. Oh, wait, no, we're not. And that's where Adrian Brody sneaks in. And he's got that very sort of diverse way about him where he can be quite good quite bad and he's definitely got a ruthless side to him definitely shown in all of his Wes Anderson films yeah yeah and he's gritty he's very gritty I mean the Robert Rodriguez's uh predator wasn't a fan of it but he was in an interesting pick for the main guy you know I love that predators movie. <laughs> yeah uh yeah that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna I'm gonna put Javier Bardem in the role then I'm gonna swap Javier and um Adrian Brody's roles Cass, just to let you know, I really did love Peter Stormont. I love the actor so much. Just not a name for me. I mean, I keep him in 22 Jump Street. Exactly. That's that's, that's that's why I kept him, you know, because he was so good in that role. 
And that's yeah, not why you kept it. He's so good in that role. <laughs> so that means I've used both my power up. So I have to pick one of your characters for the main role. So I'll go back to Nick Corey. Let's pick the worst. The worst. No, choices. no, stop this. <laughs> Paul Cerrone will be played by. We're switching. <laughs> One New Yorker for a different New Yorker to play the Paraguayan Paul Cerrone in 2014's Anaconda, which brings us to Terry Flores, originally played by On the Up, Jennifer Lopez. I don't know if you know, but this, this film was supposed to be my big break. It's turned out to be a big disaster. Anyway, I was just thinking... That maybe I could film you capturing the snake and then it wouldn't have all been for nothing. Tough, ethical, beautiful. And she's the director of this uh, particular documentary project that goes completely uh, awry. Um, as most documentary, um, she's not a very good director, she's is not. she? She didn't tell Ice Cube wow. to pick up the camera over and over again like right. she should have been, but you know, whatever. Um, she survives, um, of course. Um, she's our heroine, um, and uh, you know, it's Jennifer Lopez. Most people know her from you know anything, uh, the Super Bowl, Hustlers, Made in Manhattan, <laughs> um, you know, lots of things. Oh. All right. I actually recently watched an entire documentary on Netflix about her doing the Super Bowl halftime show. She did not come off looking great. She was very upset about having to share the Super Bowl with Shakira. So, um, all right. Um, all right. So that's Terry Flores. Ash, over to you, my friend. Well, I leave you entirely up to you guys because I can't do anything but choose one of your choices. So please, please, please. Give me something to work with, guys. I guess it's Nick. 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 You got it the last time. The old switcheroo. It's there for a reason. But all right, Nick, who you got for our main character, Terry? Um, this She is not a singer, dancer person, but she is an actress, a television actress. And this is pretty much the year she starts dipping her toes into film. Uh, you'll see her later on in a lot of franchises where she they don't quite take off or she's in a franchise installment. That's not that well beloved. So I'm going to give you the mother of dragons, Amelia Clark. Hmm. I think she has a command about her, obviously playing Daenerys, but in the film roles I've seen her in, she can also play damsel in distress. She can play the strong, savvy female heroine. I think that she has all those capabilities. I just think it hasn't quite culminated in a great role for her outside of Game of Thrones. And so I think this is another great opportunity for her to show that talent and range in this role. Okay. Okay, Nick. I I like it. I really do like it. It's something different. It's something... Yeah, yeah. I'm falling in love with that a little bit. Well, you didn't take her out of me before you, so I'm okay with it. All right, Cass, we'll come to you now, fighting on all fronts over there. Um, I try to stick in like to the whole just not even just upcoming like up and coming, but like I just wanted a singer just just more for me to like laugh at, like, oh yeah, remember when J Lo was but I, I went Rihanna. Because hmm. she was acting, she did Battleship. Isn't that what yeah, yeah Battleship yeah. in twenty twelve. 
I forgot what I saw that she did in 2013. It, well, this is the end, but... So I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> this is the end? Don't make me a fake fan of my favorite movie. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted Rihanna, and I also was thinking of her playing in Bates Motel as the lead role or in Psycho in the beginning. Marion Crane. Thank you. Thank you. The Janet Lee role. Yeah. So. Okay. I was expecting Rihanna from someone because um, I was trying to go for who follows Jennifer Lopez's sort of traje- trajectory in the 90s to 2014. And that was probably the only name that I've got. But I don't think she can act. Shots fired. <laughs> I mean, I'm not offended. No, I, I, I like her. <laughs> I, I think she should. St- I, I really think she should stick with singing, to be honest. You know where she'd be great? She'd be great in the Denise role. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting that. Yeah, she'd be very good in one of the minor roles of this movie. And Amelia Clark, I think, just coming off Game of Thrones with playing alongside Jason Momoa, some authoritative males in the movie, and she really holds her own in those movies in the in that series. I think you've already seen that she has that capability to sort of fight fire with fire, and she's quite a minute person as well. And she's got such a presence, and I love Amelia Clark. And I don't think the age difference between her or Javier or Adrian is going to be an issue in this movie um, at all because I've seen her in films where she is playing half the age of the love interest and she's absolutely fine with it. So I think for this one, yeah, I think I am going to go pick Amelia Clark for the role of Terry with that Nick. So yeah, lock that one in. Ash, would you like to read the entire cast list for Anaconda 2014 for us? Yeah, with pleasure. So, with unknown victim number two, we have John C. Riley. Unknown victim number one, we have director cameo J.J. Abrams. Still unsure if he's going to be directing this movie or not yet. For the voice of Anaconda, we've got Gideon Emery. For our cameo death at the start, The Poacher, that will be played by Samuel L. Jackson. Matteo will be played by Stephen Oggs. Denise Kalberg will be played by Alexandra Daddario. Gary Dixon will be played by Breaking Bad's Aaron Paul. Warren Westbridge will be played by Hugh Laurie. Dr. Stephen Kale will be played by Javier Bardem. Danny Rich, played by Keenan Thompson. Paul Cerrone, played by Adrian Brody, and finally, our lead, Terry Flores, played by the one and only Amelia Clark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is Anaconda 2014. I'm the host, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> what? The people want to know, Corey. The people want to know. I will simply say I would have done the exact opposite of everything Ash did up top. And I mean, (laughs) top? Every single thing would have gone the other way. So it just shows that me and Ash. Even Rihanna? Total contrasts of each other. Oh, no, I would have. No, I mean. We, we, We should have Anaconda part two, I think. I'm just not happy with your cast, to be honest, Nick. I I feel I actually feel bad for Ash. Like, I mean, 
Ash what? needed to be loaded down with overrides. So that's all I'm saying. It's just I I feel bad. Um, I apologize you, for you, Ash. Um, I, I, it wasn't I that you did that. bad. It was you were in a rock and a hard place, and we would have just both gone probably <laughs> opposite on all of it. <laughs> that means, Nick, you're up. What do we have for the next episode? Okay, so we got big movie coming up. That's a sequel that I may or may not care about, but I want to recast the original movie of it that I do care about. Oh, no. So I'm going to ask you guys to recast Raiders of the Lost Ark, the original Indiana Jones movie. No. <laughs> and we're going to take it to 2021. So oh. despite, despite Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford's wishes, I'm going to ask you to find the next Indiana Jones. Oh, no. God, in 2021. Good luck. <laughs> just, good luck. Ash is like, I'm safe. Ash is like, I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> yeah, good as luck, a, guys. Just as a teaser for the next episode, I just, I don't like Indiana Jones movies, so I just... So I've upset. never seen any, so this is going to be fun. Oh my so upset. God. I have to, Ash, I will like... you please come on to the episode? No! <laughs> Doesn't like it, hasn't seen it. Yeah, good luck, Nick. Yeah. What's your what's your stance on it? Do you like Indiana Jones? I love Indiana Jones. Honestly, oh my god, love it! Absolutely uh, love it. I think Ash should be forced to host the next one, so he just has to sit there in silence as we destroy I, things. I second that. <laughs> I second that. Gig. He's gonna have a oh tough gosh. Gig. Oh my god. Well, everyone, that was Anaconda twenty fourteen. Please tune in. Uh, Next episode as we take Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark to 2021. Again, we're on all social media. You can engage with us there. Um, tune in to see what might be a total train wreck and the total mental collapse of Nick Growall on the next episode of Quantum Recast. Until then, say goodbye, Nick. Goodbye, Nick.